Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, hi, everybody. So glad you're joining the podcast. We are in a series on becoming a transformational coach, helping people become their very best version of themselves in Christ. And we're in week five, and we're talking about helping people find their gifts and calling and where they fit in the church. Um, We know that there's no more important function for a spiritual leader, according to Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, than to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, To help them, I like to see it as unwrap their gift and discover that sweet spot where they can make the biggest difference for God. I was thinking back uh, to Christmas, and especially my kids in early times, if they were toddlers or something, they needed help unwrapping their, their Christmas gift. And then, of course, one year we bought them a swing set And they especially needed help then to put together uh, what they had unwrapped. And so that's a part of leadership is, as we're thinking of this, especially if you're a home group leader, if you work with youth, if you work in kids ministry, the, the beauty of seeing your job not as simply what can I give to them, but How can I train them to be what God wants them to be? And and how can I help them find that incredible place? I love this question. Leaders don't just ask what they can do for others to help them. They ask, what can I do with others to train them? How can I get them out of the stands onto the playing field? And, you know, I find that for many leaders, this doesn't become natural. Many of us became ministers, uh, not to train and coach people. We became ministers because we wanted to minister. And yet, to really make a difference, we have to give the ministry away. Uh, Can you imagine how silly it would be to be a coach, a basketball coach, and invite all the players to come and say, now you're going to sit in the stands and watch the coaches play basketball. And yet in many churches, that's kind of what happens. The ministers play the game and the people just learn to watch. And the result of that is that the ministry doesn't multiply, it doesn't grow, and people don't fulfill their potential. Um, Pastor Thomas was sharing, we were talking a little bit about this, how his dad, when he was about 18, one day just told him, he said, Son, I am sorry that I did not spend enough time training you to do things. I spent most of my time telling you what to do and not enough time showing you things, how to be more skilled. This is such a great thing because I believe, and I'm passionate about this, that the greatest treasures in the world are inside of the people that we lead. I mean, if those gifts could be activated, I mean, the city would be one to God. You know, there is such power 
but so often those gifts remain buried. Uh, just what a tragedy that is that there are people who will come to church all their life without those gifts ever uh, being activated. I just thought of a picture of this. Can you imagine how, how tragic it would be if a Chris Tomlin who was created to lead people in the presence of God in worship, if he, he somehow he spent his whole life sitting in the church, worshiping, and, and he never said, hey, I could get up there and sing a song. Uh, what, a, what a tragic loss that would be for so many thousands of people. And yet I believe there's thousands of Chris Tomlins, as it were, in all of our churches. And our job is to help them come to that place. We know that one of God's biggest priorities for people is that they would bear fruit. And John 15, 16 says, says you, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you, that you may bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. I've always felt that was so important. Number one, fruit, fruitfulness is fun. <laughs> when people are fruitful, they're having fun. When people are just sitting, they easily become bored and miserable. But he not only says another observation that you should be fruitful, but he says you should bear much fruit. And this is especially where this whole idea of spiritual gifts come in. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that God forms each of us with certain gifts, which also means that we don't have other gifts. Um, God never met, you know, yes, could, could you walk on your hands? Yes. Uh, are you going to get very far walking on your hands? No. Uh, you know, God meant feet to walk and, and hands to work and mouths to speak and noses to smell. Just kind of jokingly heard somebody say too, too often, you know, the, the nose, the, 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 the feet are smelling and the nose is running and that's all messed up. But anyhow, the whole idea is people in their very limited time in our church not only need to serve, but they need to serve where they can make the biggest difference where they can bear the most fruit. And I feel this whole stewardship is, wow, how do we get people into that, that sweet spot, you know, where, where yes, they're, they're serving, but they're, gonna, they're going to produce 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. You know, if you put me up there trying to lead the worship, there won't be much fruit. <laughs> if you put someone else trying to fix, if you put me trying to fix, <laughs> The, the doors that break, it's going to be bad. But there are others who will, will just flourish. They'll not only do that job, they'll get others to do it. It'll, it'll be a party and, and, and lives will change. Um, another observation here is that people in our community won't really connect and stick with the church very likely unless they find a place to serve. Uh, there are many people, John Webby say, many reasons people come to church, but only two reasons they stay. One, because of relationships, and two, because of their usefulness, because of their service. At my transformation table this last Wednesday night, it was very confirmed to me. A couple of the young adults at my table said specifically that the reason they're still in the church today was that a friend drew them in, one to kids' ministry and the other to media ministry. 
And that commitment to serve got them building relationships, got them uh, involved, helped them begin to feel needed and valued and and to to continue to grow today. And, you know, I, I just think that is so huge. I love what Gerald Brooks says in his church. He's always got two things front and center, get them saved and get them serving. Get them saved this Sunday, but then as quick as you can, because the moment they begin serving, they begin connecting, they begin growing, and they begin moving towards what God wants them to be. Another observation is that most gifts are not simply discovered by people themselves, but are discovered with or by others. Uh, I think how maybe one of the greatest gifts of a, of a, of a transformation coach is to see the potential in someone and to call that out and to give that necessary feedback. Again, to say things like, you know, when you did that, that was okay. But when you did this, something happened that was bigger than you. God showed up. You know, that was not just, wow, you, you did a good job with, with six-year-old kids. No, the, the atmosphere changed when you started uh, working with those kids or teaching them. You, you're helping them recognize not just what they're good at, but what God's anointed them to be. We see people like David. Would David have found his calling without Samuel? I don't know. Samuel noticed, even though David's own dad didn't see the gifts. Samuel saw him. Called him, called him to be a king. Uh, I think of Barnabas and Paul. Bar, uh, Paul may have never ministered. Everybody was afraid of him. Uh, but Barnabas helped Paul's gifts come to the body. Paul and Timothy, of course. And Timothy was so moved because Paul said, look, Timothy, I imparted to you gifts. And, and, and come on, Timothy. And I helped you stir these gifts up. We are called to be treasure hunters. The greatest impact of our life will not be what we did for God, but what others did for God because of us, because they were trained, because they were encouraged, and because they were taught and given a chance. Um, so what are some keys to helping people find their sweet spot? Um, I believe it begins with people who are coaches knowing their sweet spot. One of the things that we're going to say later is if you're leading a church or any organization, it's not enough to have a desire to help people find their sweet spot. You need a system. So let me just ask you right now, what's your system for getting people into their sweet spot? I believe it begins with you and with your leaders knowing their unique gifts. And so one of the things we offer to our life group leaders as pastors, we have a shape interview, we call it a, a, a way where we talk through the stories of people and how God's used them and in surveys. We also have, in fact, on our website, in case you're interested, if you look in the area of the transformation tables, you'll see we have a spiritual gift survey. But 
It starts with you as the coach really being able to articulate your own story. And I'd love for you to do some reflecting. How did you know what your gifts were? How did you know not only that, but where where you were going to get where God was going to get the biggest bang for his buck when he when he puts you as a vessel? How, how did you come to that conclusion? And can you share that with someone else? Because that will help them uh, so much. And then begin to coach the people. Um, number one, help them realize what keeps those gifts from operating at their full potential. For example, are they ignorant of spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, don't be ignorant. If you don't know it, you'll never use it. Number two, um, as leaders intentionally decide, you won't do all the work of ministry. I am convinced that so many people never get into their lanes because the ministers are doing like Moses did in Exodus 18. He was doing all the pastoring, all the teaching, all of the, you know, all of the counseling. And, and so there was not an, any place for people to get on the team. Uh, you know, if, if, if one coach tries to be the guard, the center, and the forward, uh, it not only is it going to work too good, but it's going to keep others who could do better. And so I, I encourage you as leaders, continually be in the process of writing job descriptions, helping write out what people could do. Don't even start a new ministry until you have a person besides you that can head that up because otherwise you'll just be spinning plates all the time and, and, and you'll never multiply your impact in the world. Help people realize that uh, there's a danger the enemy's going to try to get them to compare themselves with others. As the Bible says, just because you're an ear, you know, sometimes the ear and the eye compare and because I'm not an ear, I don't have any value. People are doing that all the time. Most people do not believe that they would be seriously missed if they did not come to church and show up on a faithful basis. Most people, if they were totally honest, say, I, I'm not really needed here. Uh, sure, they'd, they'd appreciate me volunteering. Sometimes that's because they've been convinced of, of that by the enemy. Sometimes it's because we haven't affirmed them or we haven't made a place for them. And so that's why they don't feel like they're needed. Um, tell them they are needed and then let them know they're needed by giving them something important to do and affirming how because they're doing it, it's changing people's lives. Don't just say, well, you volunteer for the nursery. Tell them we have so many people. We have single moms that are so burdened, unless someone's taking care of their kids, they won't have an ease of mind to come to a service. But if they know their kids are cared for in the nursery, they may find Christ, and you had as big a part of that as the preacher. You know, you've got to let them see how crucial every role in the body of Christ is. A third thing I like to teach people is help them recognize the difference between their gifts and their anointing, and the anointing. Many times we think like the world does that gifts are simply our abilities and, and truly we do have abilities. Uh, you may be an organizer, you may be a teacher, 
And, and those are things you can do in, in the natural with your own ability. But operating in spiritual gifts goes beyond your ability. It goes beyond how good you could sing or how good you could uh, fix you know, a, a door. It, it has to do with God working through you. That's, it has to do with the anointing. Yes, Gideon had leadership gifts, but when the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, he could lead a 300-man army to defeat a 20,000-man army because he was more than just what he was because the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So teach people, don't just you know serve according to your ability, but do it in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, if you don't anoint this, I know it'll just be me. And I can't change lives forever, but you can. But then wait for the anointing. I sometimes say, the anointing is to the gift what a sail is and wind is to a sail. In other words, a sailboat has a sail. That's like your ability. But without the wind, the sail isn't able to accomplish very much. Teach people how to steward their gifts, realizing that gifts themselves are not all that it takes. It takes character. It takes accountability. The gifts in one person can make them a David. Another person, it can make them an Absalom. It can cause them to, to maybe even be manipulative because they have gifts. It can cause them to do things for their own glory instead of God's glory. Teach them how important it is to constantly submit those gifts to the Holy Spirit and to own accountable relationships on how you used and stewarded your gift so that they truly helped others and gave God glory and not were not just about you. And then coach them in the process of gift discovery. Tell them it's a, it's a journey. It, it means you start by just serving. We always say around here, you don't find your gift in order to serve. You serve in order to find your gift. There's a process, and that process often involves experimenting with many things, evaluating how did it go and what you felt, getting feedback from others who would notice in your gift how you're doing. It also involves failure. Failure is a huge part of, of the process. If you're not willing to fail, you, you won't be ready to find where your sweetest spot is to succeed. Um, I've shared with others, God has allowed me to, to use the gift of healing many times. But the first one of the first times I prayed for someone, it was a disaster. I, I was a little too bold. It was trying to pull someone out of a wheelchair, found out they didn't have any legs. And, and they, I started freaking out and ran away and it was just ugly. But but I, I apologize, but I learned. And later I said, God, I don't want to do that anymore. He said, no, you stepped out. And now you're not going to do it so rashly. And, and sure enough, later I, I was used in healing. So finally, help people then develop their spiritual resume. Now, what do I mean by that? There are some key questions. And, and I, I believe that you help people find their gifting Think of a target, and it's a process that goes from the outer to the very, the, to the bullseye. We're looking for the bullseye, man. If I can get you now in this church or in this community doing these three things, 
oh man, it's going to be a hundredfold return. I mean, you do this, man, and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be David slinging that, you know, that slingshot. It's going to, it's going to change history. So here are the sort of the ways into that. Number one is um, have them recognize their story. Where has God used you in the past? Um, what, what have you been through in your life? Reflecting on where you've been and how God has used you often gives clarity on where God wants to take you. I especially love to ask people, where have you been hurt? <laughs> where have you been most broken? Why? Because so often God will use our hurts to give others hope. It is often the redeeming of our hurts that becomes the sweet spot of our help for other people. This includes our failures. This includes areas of weakness. It's so interesting. Many times, uh, strengths are discovered through our weaknesses. Why? Because our weaknesses are often really strengths just in in reverse. They're, they're strengths that are being misused. For example, uh, someone who may be a truly gifted leader when they're in the world, they might be a manipulator. <laughs> but just because they're a manipulator, like Jacob was, doesn't mean they can't be a leader. They just need to be rejected. Maybe um, you're a wasteful person, but really that, when it's turned inside out, is a generous person. Maybe you're a control freak, but really you're an organizer. But once you see how your weaknesses can fit into God's plan, they actually reveal your strengths. A third thing I think is so critical is passion. Not just knowing what you have ability to do, but knowing what you're passionate to do. I love the fact that Philippians 2.13 says, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. When God has an assignment for your life, he doesn't just tell you, all right, you're going to do that. Oh, I hate it. No, he puts in you the very desire to be that. And as you know that will, then you'll know your due. And, and so look at those things. You know, I had someone talk about it, a person who was a doctor, and he, he quit because he realized he was really good at medicine, but he didn't like sick, sick people. <laughs> he didn't like to be around people who weren't well. It's like, you know, when you find your gift, you could do it all day, no, nobody watching, don't care what people think, you are in your zone, you know. This is where you, you're like, you know, chariots of fire. And you're like, I feel the pleasure of God, you know. And I'm just cooking. Wow. Man, we want to help people find that place in their life. Ask them questions like, if you knew you couldn't fail but could try anything for God, what would you try? Or if you had $10 million to invest in the kingdom, what would you want to invest in? I love the questions, what makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you dream? I love to ask people, what is your sphere of influence? You know, where do you have relational authority? Maybe it's in business or sports and entertainment, education, church, arts. Maybe it's with the people who are most needy, the homeless, the, the prisoner, people at hospitals. Maybe it's in government. I like to ask people, who do you think your people are? Who are the people that you feel a burden for and that you often most naturally relate to? Uh, 
That's an important part of the, the equation. And then fourthly, what do you have faith for? Where, where there's great anointing, there's always a gift of faith. Romans 12, 3 says, you know, after presenting yourself to God, he says, you know, don't think more highly of yourself than you should, but let each one think according to their measure of faith. What does that mean? In other words, you know, obviously you shouldn't be conceited, but being humble doesn't mean you deny that you have strength. It means you're honest about your weaknesses, but you're also willing to say, yes, I really have faith that I could do this or that well. And, and it's just amazing. I find people that, you know, I ask them this area, you know, where, where are you kind of unreasonably optimistic that God could use you? Probably that's a sign. You know, when it came to church planning, people were sort of surprised when, when I was willing to just come out to Las Cruces, not really have money or people or anything. And, and I told him, I said, well, I just knew it would work. Why did you know? It? I said, I don't know why I knew it would work. And then I realized God had given me a measure of faith. What do people who are more mature in Christ than you see in you and call out? Where are their consistent uh, results in what you do? Where's the fruit? You heard that old commercial, where's the beef? We like to ask, where's the fruit? God wants you to be fruitful. Have you had prophetic words? Are there any the Lord would want you to remind, be reminding you of at this time? All of these are great questions. And my prayer is that you as coaches will use this and other efforts to bring some people of God into a place where they will multiply fruit for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.